Good morning. Testing one, two, three. Hello, there we go. Okay. Good morning. I get the privilege of being able to open up the Word and share that today. So um, to start with, I'd like us to, to take a moment in prayer here and just pray over this, pray over this message, pray that God will speak to us and that we'll be encouraged and, and lifted up and that God will do His work in this place today. So Father, we thank You uh, for this time to be together, God, this body uh, gathering together uh, to worship You, Lord, uh, to hear from Your Word. Lord, we need Your Word, we need Your truth to speak into our lives, to guide us, direct us, to light our paths, to give us wisdom for living the lives that You've called us to live in this world today. And God, I pray that Your Word would speak to us, God, that it would by your spirit, speak to our hearts and our minds and our spirits, God, and do your work. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so have you ever thought to yourself, and of course we just took communion, and thinking about this whole idea of, of eating of Jesus' flesh and drinking of his blood, and, and man, that's a pretty crazy concept, isn't it? Pretty crazy idea. Well, we're going to find out from this passage today that that was pretty much the same case for those that heard this from Jesus the first time. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people left him, you know, quit following him right after that because they just couldn't wrap their heads around what is he talking about? Is he talking about cannibalism here, eating his actual physical body or drinking of his blood? Uh, I thought this, you know, guy was sent from God. This is, this is pretty crazy talk here. And so we're going to learn from that today what Jesus was talking about. And the key thrust of this passage is going to be chapter 6 of the book of John. So if you have your Bibles there with you, uh, or on your, your YouVersion app, I'll be in chapter 6 of John. And the key thrust of this passage is when Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we're talk about how Jesus is the bread of life. And so starting here in chapter 6, we find that Jesus is uh, getting away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, says which is by the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they've been seeing all these signs and these wonders and healings and things that he'd been doing. And the people were fascinated by that, obviously drawn to that and hoping that they would see Jesus you know, potentially do more of that. And so Jesus, he goes up on a mountain and there he sits down with his disciples. And it says here in verse 4, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. I love what John does here, because one thing you'll find looking through the book of John is that he's very symbolic. And, and with the rest of the, the writers of the Gospels, everything they wrote was for a specific purpose. And John made note here that now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Something we're going to find in this passage, in this, this narrative here, is that there's a lot of parallels to the Passover of the Jews and them being in the wilderness during the Exodus and eating manna and the bread that God sent from heaven. So Jesus was setting things up perfectly to be able to do a miracle here that would be able to help him to teach on this whole idea that he is the bread from heaven. Like the bread, the manna that they ate, that God supplied for them in the wilderness, God was now supplying for them bread that would give them eternal life. And Jesus uses this, this miracle of providing 
food for the people to be able to illustrate that. So when it goes on to say that Jesus sees the large crowd of people and he calls his disciples, he said, hey, we got this big crowd here. What are we going to do to feed them? What have you got? And of course, the disciples, they talk amongst themselves, well, we don't have nearly enough food to go buy food for them. And it's getting late in the day, so you don't want to send these people back home because that would be dangerous to send them out back home late at night. So they're going to need to feed these people. And of course, the disciples you know, realize, man, we don't have enough money for this. There's no way not even 200 days worth of wages would be enough to be able to buy enough food to feed these people. It would be very, very little that they would get. So one of my favorites in the Bible, Andrew, my namesake, he goes and finds a solution. He goes about and he goes, well, there's this, little, there's this boy that he's got, uh, what does it say here? He's got um, five barley loaves and two fish. Five barley loaves and two fish, which actually adds up to the number seven, which is also significant. You see different numbers throughout Scripture that have a significance. The number seven is a number of spiritual perfection. It's all throughout Scripture. And now we want to be careful when we ascribe meanings to numbers when we see them, you know, not getting to numerology and things like that. But we do need to recognize there are times when there are numbers mentioned in Scripture that have a significant purpose and meaning for being mentioned. And I think that's what John was doing here, was pointing out the fact that there were five barley loaves and two fish, which added up to seven, which is that number of perfection. And God was going to be able to perfectly provide for everybody through that. So it says in verse 10 that Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now, it says 5,000 in number in men because... Obviously, a lot of times in the, in the writings, they would refer to the, to the men that were there. But there's probably more likely ten to 15,000 people that were there when you add up all of the, the women and the children that were accompanying them. So this is a lot of people. And then it says, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. Interestingly, if you turn over to Exodus, flip over here. When they were in the wilderness, and God said that he was going to send this manna and this bread that they would eat. In Exodus chapter 16, let's see here, it's verse, uh, verse 15 and 16. It said, It is bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. So in the same way, John is saying here that everybody got as much as they could eat. When you see those same kind of phrases and language and this, this correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it just shows how there's that continuity of God's work and that God is helping them to see that there's a parallel here between what he had done before and what he is trying to do now. So everybody got as much as they wanted. And then they gathered up the leftovers, you know, the food that was left over. And there was baskets and baskets full. And when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they then declared, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now note here, said they saw the sign that he had done. This is going to be important for what we're going to talk about in a minute. And they said, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king as a result, Jesus withdrew and sent the disciples away. 
I was reading in one commentary that, that it was actually really good that Jesus did that because recognizing what was going to happen, if they had come and drawn him up to become king, his disciples would have been caught up in that as well. They could have been made like prime ministers and second in commands and, you know, and, and all of that. And this would have detracted away from the purpose that God, Jesus wanted and, and needed to fulfill. He didn't want them to get wrapped up in, in all of this whole thing about an earthly kingdom, an establishment of an, a kingdom here on earth physically. And so Jesus sends away the disciples, and they go across the sea to the other side. That's another interesting parallel to the Exodus. Because in the Exodus, we saw the people cross the Red Sea and into the desert and then go to the mountain of God. So you see there that sea and that mountain and also food and water because it was at the mountain, it was in the desert that God provided them the food. So there's all of these parallels between what's happening here and what God had done for his people during the Exodus. And so, of course, the disciples, they, they get in the boat, they go across in the water, and then Jesus ends up walking out across the water that night and joining them in the boat and calming the sea, and they make it to the other side. Now, the next day, the crowd, they come looking for Jesus because they're like, hey, we want more of that food. Feed us again. And so they end up finding out that he's clear on the other side of the sea, and they go over there and they find him on the other side. And they ask him, you know, how he got there. And they're looking for more food or more signs. And Jesus says in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. The, the Jews were a very task-oriented people when it came to their faith. I mean, it was just embedded within their religion. It was works-based. It was like, what can I do to make God happy with me? What sacrifice do I need to make to deal with my sin? You know, and there was no like internal life change for them. It was just about doing works. And many of us are the same way. We can fall into that trap just saying, okay, I... I go to church on Sunday, I check off that box, I read my Bible throughout the week, I check off that box. We do good works, all of these things which are important, but they are not what gets us right with God. They are not what grows us in a spiritual walk and a relationship with God. It'd be just like, you know, if in your marriage or relation, personal relationships, if, you know, many of us, we find that after being married for years and years, you kind of just settle into that routine, Right? And you're just kind of going through the motions. And then eventually you find, man, I don't even really know this person that I'm married to all this time. Anybody ever been there? Can relate to that in any kind of relationship. And you have to rekindle and rediscover one another. And it's the same thing here. God is saying these people, they're doing all these works, but their hearts are far from me. So they're very task-oriented. And they're just saying, hey, what do we got to do to get you to give us more of that food or do the signs and wonders? And they say that. What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he was sent, that you believe. 
And for those of us who are particularly wired to be kind of task-oriented people, I'm that way, very analytical, just task-oriented person, like I'll, I'll just do the things, you know, and then think that I'm, I'm accomplishing, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing. But then completely miss the point. And so it's hard for some of us to just trust and to just believe and to hope and have faith. It's like, okay, that's fine, but, but I'm going to make my plan <laughs> because I have a goal to achieve and I'll work out my plan and figure out how to get there. And then, of course, they say to him, now after he's asked them to believe, okay, what sign are you going to do to cause us to give reason to believe you that you'll do this? Seriously, this is like, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? Dun, 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 dun. Remember that song? <laughs> yeah, I work in sales. And it's very much that way. It doesn't matter what you did last month or last week or yesterday. It's like, what have you done for me lately? You know, what have you sold lately? What have you accomplished lately? Right? In relationships as well, too, we can fall into that where... You know, it doesn't matter what somebody's done for us in the past or how much they've served us or declared their love for us or been there for us. We can sometimes think, okay, what have you done for me lately? It's very selfish. And that's what they're doing here. They're being very, very selfish. So then they're saying, okay, what sign are you going to do so that we can see and believe you? Never mind the fact that he just performed this massive sign and wonder and miracle of transforming you know, five loaves of bread and two fish into enough food to feed, you know, multitudes of people. Now they're saying, what sign are you going to do now? And then, of course, they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is verse 32. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. And it's not me that gave you the bread from heaven. It's the Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For in verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're like, oh, well, give us this bread always. They're still thinking in the physical. They're still thinking, hey, give us that, some food to eat. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Drawing back to that parallel, you know, in the wilderness. The thing that they saw there, if you remember from the story, God had sent the, the manna, and they were told to go out and collect as much as they could, as much as they could eat. But to know that whatever was left over they, was going to spoil. And that's exactly what happened. Some tried to collect more than they really needed for the day to have extra, and that was showing that they weren't trusting God. They were thinking, okay, I need to store up extra you know, just to have that, that cushion. And so they did that, and then they woke up the next morning, and the manna and the, was rotted, and there were worms in it. So it was a lesson to them that to trust God and that God would give them their daily bread. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And the same here. Jesus provided for them more than enough that they could eat on that day. And he says, If I'll give you this bread of life, whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And then he goes on to talk about how he is that bread of life and how he gives eternal life to those who believe and trust in him. 
But then, of course, in typical fashion, the Jews grumble, which is what they did many times in the wilderness. They grumbled about it and complained. And Jesus said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. But then they, they questioned, they said, well, hold on a minute. This is Jesus. Don't we know He came from Nazareth and He's a carpenter's son and the son of Mary and Joseph? How could He possibly have any kind of spiritual authority or be sent from God down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Verse 44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Me. Whoever believes, verse 47, has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. So we get to now when Jesus is breaking it down, that okay, the bread is eating of my flesh and drinking of my blood. And what does that mean? Well, obviously Jesus isn't talking about in the physical realm. We're not going to be physically eating His flesh or drinking of His blood. That would be cannibalism. That would not be something that God would be asking us to do. He's talking in spiritual terms here. And He's also talking about something that's to come in the future. His crucifixion, His death, His resurrection. And that by spiritual, through His death in the physical realm, dying, giving up His life physically, and then also shedding His blood, that through our faith and our trust in Him, that we will spiritually be renewed within our beings because of His life. So the Jews, they disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Verse 57, As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. He's referring to the manna in the wilderness. It's not like that bread. It's not like the bread that I just gave you, right? That, that fed your physical body. But I'm trying to give you spiritual bread. I'm trying to tell you about spiritual bread that you can feed on that will feed you for eternity. Because whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So when many of his disciples heard this, they said, man, this is a hard saying. They, they weren't seeing things the way Jesus was referring to them in the Spirit. Because it says in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's in the Spirit that this occurs not in the physical or in the flesh. Just going back to that verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes. Don't work. Don't be task-oriented. Don't think that you can earn our way into heaven by doing certain things. 
or trying to work for it, but by believing. Amen? Because Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's by faith, not by works. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The reason God does this in the Spirit and doesn't allow us to earn it by works is so that no one can boast. So we can't take credit for it. You know, The only thing we can do is believe and trust in who Jesus is and what He's done. It's not about the, the strength of our faith or how passionate we are or how loud or how many times we pray or how many you know, repeat our prayers or all of that. It's about trust in who Jesus is and what He's done, what He accomplished, giving His life, sacrificing and God raising him from the dead. And because Jesus died in the flesh, our mortal bodies, our physical bodies, are able to be renewed. And when we are resurrected on that last day, we'll be resurrected physically. And it also gives us victory in the flesh because Jesus was raised in the flesh. He wasn't just raised as spirit. His body was gone. Jesus was raised physically from the dead. And in the same way, we have that resurrection hope and that victory of hope that over sin, over sickness, over the diseases, over the things that plague us in this life. And we can turn to Jesus and we can hope in the Lord for victory in those. But we can't work for it. We can't earn it. We can't do works to earn any of that. It's all by faith and trusting Him. Because what does Hebrews 11 say? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's faith and it's trust in Jesus to be our Savior, to be the bread, to be the one that gives us life. So in closing then, to come back to that, verse 35 Chapter 6 in John, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Amen? May we feed upon the Lord and have our spirits and our bodies renewed and refreshed, just as we did in taking communion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your